Thank you, Vanessa. Thanks, Andrew. Good morning, everyone. Uh, great to be with you again this morning. Great to sing together. It was very loud here at the front. Really enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed it as much as me. I wonder, as you um, come to church, how do you think of church as you come to it? You probably haven't thought of it as a, an opportunity to sing in the last little while as coming to a, a choir. Do you think of it more like going to a, I don't know, a school or an educational institution, learning something? Do you think of it as going somewhere to watch a, a show, perhaps, Are the people performing up here? Perhaps you think of it as just a social club, a chance to hang out with friends, a, it might be a number of those things. Uh, you probably know the Bible has a, a number of metaphors to talk about the church. It talks about the church as uh, God's people are like a building. Uh, God's people are, are like a vine, a kingdom of priests. Um, but in 1 Timothy, the image Paul uses is God's household. I um, mean, chapter 3, verse 15, we've looked at a couple of weeks ago. He talks about God's household, the church of the living God. And that taps into this idea that we are family. That's the fundamental truth of what it means to be a Christian in God's family. In Jesus, Christians are adopted by God. Once enemies, he reaches out and makes us not just friends, but children. Jesus is our brother, each other Christian, a sibling. That's who we are. And in this letter that uh, Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus... Uh, Timothy's the leader of the church there. Paul's helping Timothy work out, well, what does it look like to be God's household, his family there? I mean, this passage, chapter 5, that we've, we've just read, there are three big sections. Um, there's a, a short section about uh, how to talk to one another as family at the beginning, just the first two verses. Then there's a big section on how to look after people in need with this particular example of um, widows, uh, verses 3 to 16. And then there's some more instructions about elders, leaders in the church, uh, in the last part. Now, we've spent a, a bit of time looking at leaders uh, the last couple of weeks, and there's a lot here in this passage. So we're not going to spend much time on that last part um, of the passage, um, except to say, you can see there, there's a principle of valuing leaders who do good work and being aware that they're probably um, going to come under fire but at the same time also calling out leaders who fail to live up to their task and not pushing sin or the misuse of power under the carpet. So I hope you've maybe had a chance to talk about that uh, part of the passage in a small group or you might this coming week. Uh, but this morning we're going to focus on the first part, verses 1 to 16. And this is what I want you to think about today. How do we treat each other as God's family, as members of God's household? And we'll look, at, um, yeah, we'll look at three things, how to speak to each other, how to care for each other, and how to make the most of our place in the household. So let's have a look at those first two verses. The passage says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Those are relationships that make sense if we're talking about a household, a family. Uh, you might recall that Jesus uses similar language of his disciples when his mother and brothers come to see him when there's a whole crowd that he's teaching. And they come to find out, you know, is something, has something gone wrong with him? What's going on? He needs to eat. He need, you know, they're concerned for him. Jesus says, look, these, my disciples, are my mother and brothers. 
He says, uh, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And of course, Jesus does care deeply for his own direct family as well. Notably on the cross, he says to John the disciple to look after his, his mother for him. But he says, those who follow God's will, they're my brothers and sisters. When this wonderful reconciliation with God takes place, we're adopted by God. Jesus becomes our brother. We enter a family relationship with every other Christian. What a beautiful result of the gospel. I mean, our experiences in family uh, probably range from the really painful to the mostly wonderful, everything in between. But the, the connection, the relationship, the acceptance that we sense is good in families, in our earthly families, that is part and parcel of new life in Jesus. We are given each other as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers now, even as we're still being shaped to be more like Jesus. But we also look forward to family as it should be in all its goodness when Jesus returns. And so that's the people at Ephesus. They are a family. That's us here. We are a family. You'll see that Paul adds a, a note uh, to Timothy there in relation to younger women. Treat them with absolute purity. I'm sure he would have said that about the young men if he was writing to a woman. But he's saying treat them with absolute purity as you'd expect in a family. There's no uh, place for uh, sexualization of this kind of relationship. It categorically rules out uh, heinous abuse, misuse of power uh, in Timothy's position, but also offers a, a model for relationships that is just straightforwardly respectful. It's no, no flirting, no manipulation, no tangled complexity. Uh, a little later in the passage, of course, he does uh, encourage people to get married. So there is a time when things change and two unmarried people uh, may begin to treat each other a little differently. But in the normal course of events, he's saying, uh, treat people as a sister or a brother. It speaks of respectful closeness and care. And the point of doing that is to, to build each other up uh, in our learning to be like Jesus. See, at the start of the passage, Timothy's told not to rebuke an older man harshly, but rather to exhort him, that is to encourage him. So it's not that Paul's saying don't correct anyone. No, he's encouraging him to correct people, even an older man, but the manner should be encouraging. And actually that encouraging speech, that's what he's saying Timothy should do with each of those segments he mentions. Younger women, older women, younger men, building each other up in the truth. So uh, where are our relationships at, do you reckon, here at church? For some, uh, there might be a need to, to take an important stock take on the purity of our relationships. Perhaps you are too close with some in a way that's inappropriate and that's not good. I suspect for most, though, the challenge will rather be the other way, increasing our closeness and care for other people here at church. See, I think we get that connection and interdependence is good, but we often don't see church as the place that should be the best at this. I think for uh, lots of people uh, in our uh, suburbs and around, uh, places like sports teams or community groups or even school communities, they're the ones that are actually great at building close support networks. Sometimes they even use the language of family. And that's great. But we as church, 
we're not just associated by a common interest. We don't just kind of aspire to be like family. Our identity is family. That's who we are adopted as God's children. I think we get how families should work, but perhaps we don't think of each other as family as much as we do. Of course, we see a lot of uh, good aspects of this. I hope that you've experienced this at churches as well. But do you think of this here, these people around you right now as family? For instance, do you think it matters if you're here or not on a Sunday as much as, say, if there was a, a family dinner going on and your absence would be noticed and missed? When you're having conversations with people here, how interested are you in um, uh, how they're actually going? These are brothers and sisters. What's your assumption, perhaps, about how interested someone else is in how you're going? And do you talk to people across the whole family? Younger men talking to older men, older women to younger men, younger men to younger women, all of the different scenarios, not each little demographic grouping together. So embracing the fact that we're family, it means, it means encouraging each other in respectful but close relationships as brothers, sisters, each adopted by a good father. So that's the first two verses. But being a household, a family goes beyond just talk. Uh, and so we move to our next section, caring for each other as a family. And in these next verses, verses 3 to 8, uh, Paul uh, speaks about uh, an issue confronting the church in Ephesus, a group of, of widows who didn't have any support. And now I'm conscious as, as we speak this morning, there are widows in our church family. And uh, there are people as well who perhaps aren't widows themselves, but perhaps feel as if they don't have much support, feel as if they're alone in this world. As we heard in our Old Testament reading, God cares deeply for people such as this. That was God speaking to his people, Israel, as he sort of established them as a nation. And he said, one of the things he said was, look, I'm a God who looks after the fatherless, the orphans and the widows. God has a special care for them. He wanted to put that front and center as he kind of established his people uh, in, in the assumption that his people would do the same, would, would follow after his heart. And I think this is a really um, beautiful section of this letter because it shows us the practical outworking of God's heart for people like this in the nitty-gritty of what was going on in Ephesus. And so in these verses, uh, Paul talks about um, widows who are really in need, uh, widows who are really widows. He wants to make sure that the right people are getting uh, the recognition, uh, financial and other support um, that, they, that they need. And so he talks about widows who are really in need, and he's, he's saying this group is more specific than just people whose husbands have died. No, no, the, the real widows are those who are in dire need. And so he's, he's, he marks them out with a, a couple of criteria. First one is he says, well, they're not being looked after by uh, biological or other family. And the ideal is that, I think we, we get this, that the family, that the household, should look after those in need in their care. That is, if your mum or your grandma is in need, you look after her. And Paul is 
scathing on people who aren't doing this. He says, you know, if you don't provide for those in your household, you're worse than an unbeliever. Uh, Because even an unbeliever would think it reasonable to look after their own. He says, you've denied the faith. That is, you've so badly linked through the truth about who God is through to your life that perhaps you don't even get who God is at all. It seems that there were some women in in verse 16, big-hearted believers who were looking after widows who weren't even part of their family. And Paul's more than happy for them to stay in that arrangement because the resources of the church are limited. Uh, So to be really a widow, Paul's saying, you know, she's not someone who's got other support being looked after by someone else. But the second criteria to be a widow uh, really in need is someone who's a member of the family, who is actually a genuine uh, believer. Um, You can see in verse 5 there, the widow who's left all alone puts her hopes in God. That's just how, like how Paul and Timothy did did it in in the previous chapter, chapter 4. She's not living for pleasure. He's saying, with the limited resources we have as a church, look after those who are part of the church family and who are in need. That displays God's care for them. Sure, it's good to look after people outside as well, but the the priority is with the family. And so uh, those in need should be looked after by family, either their own family, that's kind of stop one, or by the church family, if their own family isn't doing it. And so this is the question we need to ask. Well, who's my family? We're all in different scenarios. Um, Some single, some married, some without kids, some with kids, some widowed, some widowers, some divorced, some from large families, small families, some with living grandparents, some with living parents, some without, some with godchildren even, some with nieces and nephews who we're very close to. And so we look around and ask, "Who's, who's my family? Firstly, naturally, those people who we're related to by blood or, I guess, circumstance, that we have a responsibility for. Who's in that category that we need to be looking out for? And secondly, spiritually, who's in my spiritual family, people who are Christians? These are the people we should be looking out for, people in our family. See, I think we get this impulse with families, mostly, even if we don't do it very well, even if we feel a bit guilty, we get that we should look after family. But I think what we don't get so well is that we are family and should look after each other. Of course, even as you look around here now, uh, this is quite a big family. Uh, There's quite a lot of us here. Uh, One of the reasons why small groups are so important, because they're like little households within the bigger household. That's not really even to mention uh, the wider church across Sydney or the different congregations here or expanding out to Australia, the world. It's it's a very large family. We're not going to even touch on that today. But let's think about who might really be in need here. There may be some widows, literal widows, who still fit into this category. But what other people uh, may require financial or other support. Perhaps those who are, are studying, perhaps people who are on a, on a visa, who are unemployed uh, and unexpectedly need financial help. Or perhaps those with family who live far away, who don't have support nearby. People who are single parents, people who have no one else in their family 
who's a Christian? And how are they helped? Well, in terms of financial support, uh, we have a very good social welfare system here today, not like in Ephesus. Uh, So there's not actually many people amongst us who are at risk of uh, probably living on the streets or destitution in that sense. So we don't need the same structures as the Ephesus church uh, that they were putting together, but we still do need to help. And the first port of call uh, for help is our small groups, uh, little households within the household. These are places that give us a chance to, to know what needs are. This is the church. Help could look like financial help, helping gain access to government assistance perhaps, emotional support, practical help. The church is us. The church helping looks like you helping out a brother or a sister. So if we know someone in need, we help. We look after our mothers or fathers, brothers or sisters, or we're worse than unbelievers. It's worth saying that Paul writes this to Timothy because not everything is perfect in Ephesus. Uh, No church will do things perfectly, us here included. And I'm sure there are people here who uh, feel they've been let down in a time of need, either by this church or other churches. And um, I'm very sorry if that's the case. But as we look to what we're called to do, we need to keep repenting and keep working at it because God calls us to be family. So if you have a need, let someone in the family know. Start with your small group if you're in one. And if there is a, a clear need you know of, swing into action as the church. This is your sister, your brother, your mother, your father we're talking about. If you see a need, what would you do if it was your actual sister? Of course, uh, we, the ministry staff, are keen to help um, us support each other. So if there's something you know of that you don't know how to help with, let us know. The principle is look after those in your family and look after those in our family, the church, who aren't being looked after. So who's my family? That's the question we need to ask. It's at least everyone here. And we've got others watching on the live stream as well, others in our other congregations too. We're going to come to our last section. And this section I'm calling Making the Most of Your Spot in the Household. Uh, so in this, in this section from verse 9, uh, Paul talks about putting widows on a list. That is enrolling them in a specific group and the requirements are pretty specific he talks about they need to be older than 60 Uh, they need to be faithful uh, to their husband or have been faithful to their husband they need to be well known for good deeds of which he lists a few there now some people or many people take these verses to be I guess an expansion of what a widow really in need is Uh, however I'll only mention this briefly but I think this group may be a special group of widows that the church looked after Yes, but who also had a particular role in looking after others in the household. I think this group already existed before Paul's letter, hence he's not very explicit about uh, what they do because Timothy would have already known that. Uh, But I think this is a a group like that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, if you have a look at verse 12, there's a, uh, a pledge mentioned there, uh, which seems to be uh, involved in becoming part of this group. 
That's one reason Paul recommends against adding younger widows to the group because they're potentially going to have some guilt of breaking that pledge if they do go off and get married. So that's the first reason, I think. The second reason is that the criteria for the widows on the, on, in this group seems to be character-based. It's pretty similar in many ways to the uh, criteria for deacons and overseers as well. So I think it's unlikely that this would be the deciding criteria for widows to receive any support at all. So if this is the way that it works, then there are widows who are uh, beyond the point uh, in their life at which they'd hoped that they might get remarried. And so they acknowledge their place in the household and embrace that opportunity. The church recognises their value and their wisdom and supports them while they contribute to the household. That's what it looks like for older widows to make the most of their spot in the household. The advice for younger widows is not to get added to that group uh, and to get married again. And I think Paul here is trying to prevent them from making a commitment that they can't follow through on, a commitment not to marry that they may regret. And I think he's seen this happen to others already in Ephesus. His advice is that not having a clear responsibility at this point in life is not good. And in Ephesus, he's, he's seen this before, this kind of idleness, this kind of, I guess, life of leisure, has seen um, some young women involved with godless myths, false teaching, and has already meant that some have turned away to follow Satan, it says, renounced their Christian faith. I don't know if you remember back in chapter 2 when Paul encouraged women to learn. Uh, he, he encouraged them to learn to disciple themselves to Jesus. And he's actually using the same word again here where he says they're getting into the habit of being idle. These women are kind of doing the opposite. They're learning to be idle. That's not good for them. And so he encourages them uh, to get married, something that would have been uh, very common in their culture. It's possible that some of them had swallowed the false teaching from last week that said marriage is bad. And so he wants them to be free to do that if that's what, what they're going to do. He says, go ahead and have children. That's a good part of creation. It's not a curse. The pain and difficulty that goes with it might be, but women will be saved through childbearing. He affirms that being part of a household is good. And in fact, they should go ahead and manage it. An important task. So here too, Paul's saying to this group, make the most of your spot in the household. Invest in your own family, in your own household, and in the church family as you learn and grow. Maybe one day you'll have the wisdom of an older widow. So how do we make the most of our spot in this household? We don't have a, a specific group of widows set aside today. I don't think Paul's telling us to do that. He would have made it more clear if he was. But we must keep working out how uh, to help each other make the most of our spot in the household, whatever our situation. Perhaps you know someone here at church who's actually a very mature Christian, who's got a track record of good deeds, who you could ask to help you to grow, or you could encourage them to, to uh, invest in, in someone else. Perhaps you're someone who could apprentice themselves to an older Christian. Perhaps you've got resources to provide practical support to people in this household. Because this is your family, so make the most of your position here. See, there's something special about church. It may not look like much. It may look like other groups you're part of. It may not. 
Many organisations use language of family, which is great, but the fact is we are family. That's our identity. We are God's household, part of a family, a wonderful gift from the God who's adopted us. And that's why it makes sense to speak to each other closely and respectfully, building each other up. That's why it makes sense to put our religion into practice and look after those amongst us in need, like family. That's why it makes sense to make the most of our own place, our own station in our own families and in this family for the good of each other and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, thanks so much that you welcome us into your family and you give us a family here. Thank you that you defend the cause of those who are in real need. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to treat one another as family with closeness, respect, and as it's needed, with tangible care and support. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, please stand again. We're going to sing Never Alone.
someone you'd like to invite to celebrate Easter with us, don't forget those mission responses as well by the end of this month. I'm going to pray as we finish. We've gathered before you, our Father, from whom every family on earth derives its name. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you might strengthen us with power in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. We pray that we, being rooted and established in your love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in this church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
Jesus strong.